What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar, brought to you by Bloke Beer. Make sure to get in your local, grab a case of Bloke Beer. Look, I'm over here in Europe, and look, the beer's been okay, but it's nothing like Bloke Beer, I'm telling you right now. So make sure to get in your local. We are in every single celebrations, Bottolo, IJ Plus Liquor, and Porter's Liquor in New South Wales and ACT. That's right. So if you're in New South Wales ACT, you've got a celebrations, a Bottolo, Porter's Liquor, IJ Plus Liquor, near you, they stop Bloke in a Bar beer. Get in. Grab a case. It's beautiful. I actually got multiple messages over the weekend of going, mate, first time I tried it, absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, it's even some people saying, you know, I used to drink this, but this is even better. And that's no word of a lie. Uh, it's a really, really good beer. Smooth and easy drinking. It's not fruity. It's not hoppy. Really good drinking beer. Plus, we've got all brand new mid-strength. Absolutely superb mid-strength. If you go to our website, you put in blokeinabar.com. Put in your postcode or you put in your address, it will show you the nearest stockers. It will show you the nearest stockers. Um, we're in Queensland, New South Wales, ACT, Victoria, hundreds and hundreds of stores. So make sure to grab a case of Bloke in a Bar. Also, we've got the Summer of Cricket merchandise on bloke.shop. We've got a bunch of different merch. We've got floppy hats. We've got all different clothes on bloke.shop. So if you want some just simple, easy-to-use clothes you can chuck on, wear down to the beach, wear playing a bit of sport, whatever you want at home, Go to bloke.shop and grab some. But as usual, let's get straight into it, baby! Just a bloke in a bar. Bonjour, no, and welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. I am uh, <laughs> I'm currently in Florence. Uh, yesterday, went to a, a wine taste, taste testing in uh, Tuscany. It was absolutely beautiful. But you know what it wasn't as beautiful as? A weekend of rugby league where the <laughs> boys are out ripping and a tearing. Uh, made sure to watch it, really enjoyed it. But I will say, I will say, this is when we get excited. You know, obviously we're playing Lebanon and Lebanon have been incredible uh, in Australia, but the games we've got coming up are so exciting. This is kind of when the real competition starts. I'm so excited to have the great Gurino and Timmy. Timmy, Gurino, how are you going, boys? We're going well, mate. As you said, uh, the real competition, the big game just around the corner. So looking forward to seeing all these teams putting out their best 17, which I'm sure we'll talk about throughout the show today, but really keen for it, mate. Yeah, you're not rubbing in the, uh, the yeah. background as much, Kempy, this week as last week. Last week I was waiting for a dragon <laughs> to fly over the back of your head and start burning towns together or something, but uh, a bit better this week for us. We don't have to put up with it for a couple of hours. Did you see there was a bloke well, in the comments last week that didn't believe Kempy yeah. was there? Yeah. <laughs> it was a screensaver. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there could still be a dragon fly over this uh, backdrop because my missus is literally asleep behind me <laughs> currently. So if she gets up and hits me over the back of the head, uh, we'll have to call her a day, boys. We'll have to call her a day. Now, on to the rugby league news. Joshua Jackson retires. What a uh, – you just – this bloke retires at a, a glamour club and the fanfare around it would be absolutely incredible, like – you know, put it this way, it'd be similar to Orbo, similar to Orbo, just a bloke that gets the job done every week. I mean, there's it's one thing being a battler in a good side. Imagine being a battler in a really good side and then a battler in a really bad side. When it comes to, like, principles, it's always like principles, they don't waver or change, you know, regardless of the environment around you, you deliver whatever your principles say. And Josh Jackson is the epitome of that. Whether he's in grand finals or whether he's at the bottom of the table, 
He is going to give you everything he's got. And that's the measure of a man. It's not a man that's very easy to be in front, a front runner and everyone loves you and you're a hero and the team's killing it. And for you to get up and you get the energy and you the carry on. I mean, I was a winger. I mean, shit, that's what I did, baby. I just I was the front runner. Um, but Josh Jackson, week in, week out, delivered, earned his pay packet. What an incredible career. What a like what a guy to have around the club. And I think there was a crazy stat, Guru. Have, have you got this stat? I won't. I won't rob you of it if you're. If yeah, you've got I, I can actually claim this one this week. So throughout <laughs> okay. his entire career, outside of his debut season, uh, his debut season he played twelve games. Outside of that, for the next decade, he averaged twenty three games per season. Jeez. So oh, there's man. only twenty five a year. Twenty four once you take out buys. He essentially played every game he possibly could. And granted, the first few years they played in grand finals and stuff. They played a bit of finals footy, but. You know, he hasn't played any finals footy of five or six years, so to average 23 games, the least amount of games he played outside of his debut was 17 in a season. When you think about how tough he played our game, incredible. And you go back to that debut season, Kempi, his 12th game, he was a starting back rower in a grand final. He made his debut off the bench in round 16. By round 18, he was starting. In that Canterbury bracket, you're talking James Grahams, Cassianos, all these guys. He was a starting back rower after 12 games of NRL against the Melbourne Storm in the 2012 Grand Final. Crazy. Yeah, he. it just, as I said, you know, because the Bulldogs are struggling right now, he doesn't get appreciated for what he has done for that club. And, uh, you know, 23 games, I, I cannot, I mean, that's that's Cam Smith territory. It, it might even be a higher average. It might even be a higher average. That that's so. And, and we're talking about a bloke that you know, Cam Smith. He was like very what, like smart about the way he hit contact. Very uh, crafty. Josh Jackson was a motherfucker, taking massive hit ups, getting through forty tackles with big contact, big contact in attack, in defence, always cleaning up. A, a, a lot bigger body as well. So usually if you've got a bigger body, usually, not all the time, but usually the injuries can be a bit because the contact is bigger. Absolutely amazing. Timmy, I'm sure you're a big uh, Josh Jackson fan, surely. I do who absolutely love Josh Jackson. Surprise, surprise. But he's in the... On his 23 games per year, he's also playing as a back rower and towards the, the back end of his career as a, a middle forward at times, playing at the lock for the doggies. And he was pretty well 80 minutes his entire career as well. So he wasn't, you know, playing off the bench or chopping and changing, having 30 and 40-minute games. He pretty well 80 minutes the entire time. Um, absolutely loved Josh Jackson. He was just so no-nonsense, caused no controversy at the club. Such a, a perfect player to build your club around, which is what the Bulldogs did. It's disappointing to see him leave at this time when he's gone through these tough, tough years with the Doggies. Uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel for him, a lot of hope for them leading into 2023 and he's leaving. But at the same time, the way he's exiting the game and the way he's exiting the Bulldogs, I think sums up his entire career because he was contracted to next year on, I, I read a report that was 600K. So you can imagine the amount of cap pressure that was on the Bulldogs with all these new recruits and the, what, the chats that the club would have had to have up top among... Uh, the coaching staff, the boards, Josh Jackson, in order to say, look, we need to free up cash to, to allow um, Reid Marnie to come in and Viliami kick out, to extend Matty Burton was probably the big, big one. And Josh Jackson being the you know club first kind of guy that is, again, I don't know specific details of it, but has obviously obliged and said, you know what, I can play for one more year on 600K or I can organise it off-field, free up the cap space for this club and allow them to continue to move forward because... He had more footy left in him, Josh Jackson, even if it was, you know, a bench forward for less than minutes. Uh, so, yeah, what, what an absolute champion of the game. 
Yeah, it's a great point in regards to, you know, the rumours came out that it was a pressure because salary cap and then the, the Bulldogs have kind of denied that. Wherever the truth lies, the fact of the matter is the Bulldogs have more money to upgrade players. And there's one guy's name that screams, it's Matty Burton. Like this guy is currently in the Australian squad, currently in the New South Wales squad. He's on current, uh, the, the reports are around the 500k mark. You do the math and it's like, uh, most of that's probably going to go to Matty Burton. Rightly so, rightly so. And for Josh Jackson to step aside the way he did and a guy that he didn't look, when I was watching him play this year, he didn't look busted or, you know, couldn't go again, around again. So I, I would assume, again, it's just a guess, but I would assume that there was some uh, sacrifice from Josh Jackson to go, you know what, what's best for the club? The, what you know? What do I need to do? What sacrifices do I need to make? It did, look, you put two and two together equals four. This bloke, you spent his whole life sacrificing for the club. You think he's not going to do it in a key point? Again, all assumptions, don't have the facts, but I think you can safely assume that this bloke has taken one for the team. Um, and if, if I'm being honest, like if I was a salary cap manager, you know, I would probably have that conversation with him to keep Matty Burton. If that was the case, if it's a case that they really need to keep Matty in that, I would always respect a veteran of the club and always honour the contract because he has given so much to the club. But I would also let him know the situation. He would know the situation. He'd be so involved in it because he's such a veteran of the club. So you're absolutely right, Timmy. I think there probably was a little bit of a sacrifice there. And I think Bulldogs fans, um, I know you do love Josh Jackson, but over the next two years, if you start just exploding and, and heading up the table, don't forget this bloke could have easily said, no, I want my 600K. I've earned that. I've broken my body to bits for this club. I earned that contract. And that could have been the difference between keeping one of your key players. So always remember blokes like Josh Jackson. You People won't. A lot of people won't. And that's fair enough. You know, you can consume footy the way you want. But, you know, if they do go on back up towards the top of the table, this moment, I think, is a, is a quite defining moment in my opinion. I was just having a look through his entire career. So he scored 24 tries throughout his career. Never scored a double. But round 25, 2012, scored a triple that day. Josh Jackson. (laughs) So I did not see that coming at all. (laughs) Kenby, my question to you. He's obviously the skipper. Who do you choose to take over? I think Josh Adokar is the obvious one. But do you pick a winger to captain your side? You're probably the best person to ask. What do you reckon? Oh, obviously, I'm a leader of men. I could have led the Brizzy Broncos. I don't know why they gave it to Lockie. Bullshit. Darren um, No, I don't think you give it to Josh. I don't think you give it to Josh. Not because I don't think he's not a leader, but like his energy is free. And maybe I'm getting a bit too vibey here, but his energy is free and happy-go-lucky. Don't put that added nonsense on him where he's got to sit in press conferences and get absolutely peppered by journos and that. Keep him as the rogue, the joker, the fun guy on the side, the guy that... You know, if he comes to a young guy with a captain on his, you know, arm or whatever, the younger guy might be a bit like, oh, shit. But if he comes as the guy that kind of can mold and, and, and go between different groups, which he does so well, we see it. He goes in the Origin camp, he goes to the Australian camp. So I would be looking more towards, you know, it's a, it's a tough one, but you'd be probably looking more towards, oh, man. Going through it now. There aren't any real standouts. Ooh. I I'd chuck Matt Burton in there. I'd chuck Luke Thompson in there. Maybe Reed. But well, the yeah. problem is Luke Thompson's on the way out. Like they keep reporting that they you know want to move him on. Yeah. Like it's it's a really really tough one. Uh, I just I just think that don't. And I've been wrong about this before. I've been wrong about this before. When uh, 
Roger Tuivasa-Shek got named captain of the Warriors. I was like, I don't like that. I want him to just be free to play rugby league. And that was wrong. And he killed it. And he was fantastic. So, look, maybe Fox is the guy. Maybe he's the only answer. Um, and maybe he wants to be a leader. Uh, it'd be an incredible achievement for him. So I, I, I agree in regards to Guru, if this is what you're saying, like Josh is probably the obvious answer. Like mm. that's the easy, like, look, everyone respects him. Everyone believes in him. Um, maybe you, what you do is, is you go, Josh, you've got it for a year. Matty, you, Matty Burton, not Matty Waterboy, sorry, bro. Um, Damn it. <laughs> well, I got the captaincy then. <laughs> <laughs> he's only uh, one Burton, letter off too do. he's told me a few times yeah I always say that Matt, Matt Burton lacks a bit of X Factor <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Dickhead. Um, and I just and I'd be honestly fast tracking Matty Burton I'd be putting him in leadership courses learning everything he can from guys like Josh Adokar I'd be trying to get like one-on-one meetings with um, Brad Fittler uh, every every resource that I could pull to try to make Matty Burton a leader, I would without over. You don't want to overload him. He's still still really young, but I would still be trying to prepare for a world because I mean, in five years' time, I think we kind of all agree Matt Burton seems like the obvious choice in in three or four years. Is that are we on the same page or what do you think? Oh, I agree with you, but I also think similar to Luke Thompson. I mean, they're not sure if he's going to stay just yet as well. So it's a it's a bit of an awkward one for Canterbury if you do make him the captain of the club and he leaves in eighteen months' time. It's it, the, the optics aren't great for Canterbury. I, I wonder if potentially similar to a Caelan Ponga situation, if maybe giving him the captain, he could now entice him to hopefully stay at the club as well. There's a few different ways to look at it. Yeah, for sure. Look, I can't see Matty leaving the doggies. I just because I'm you, you sit there and you go, okay, the doggies can offer him a monster contract, monster contract. Whereas I'm I'm going through top tier teams. Unless he was willing to take another pay cut and not pay cut, but you know, stay around that five six hundred k. What top tier team really needs a six right now that you know that would use Matty Burton the way he needs to be used? Uh, but you're right though he hasn't he hasn't resigned so you know you don't want to make him captain and buddy all of a sudden he's gone in, in two or three years or whatever or even a year. Mm. Um, so you know what? Having thought about it all, you're probably right in regards to Fox Timmy. What do you reckon? Pretty torn, boys. I'm just trying to run through the options in my head. And they'll probably stand out for me if they're investing in him for another year or two is Luke Thompson. Um, and look, I don't, I've, I've never met Luke Thompson, but on all reports, you know, he does seem like a good leader. He seems like a natural fit for the role, particularly in the fact that if he was to go in and do it for a couple, of, couple more seasons, that would pave the way, Kempi, for uh, Matty Burton, the obvious option to take over at sort of, say, 24, 25 years old. Uh, I, I lean a little bit the, the same as you with the Fox. I think he's the, the free spirit, the energy in the team. I like him in that role. Totally, I don't think he'd handle the pressure, but yeah, I, I think probably Luke Thompson is the one. You know, Reid Marnie's 24, but you probably think maybe he's a year or two away as well. Uh, it's a really intriguing one, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's. Look, if put it this way, if Luke Thompson is in their plans going forward, and it's all just nonsense to reports, Luke Thompson, I would definitely go mm. with just just because of. I've met Luke, great bloke, really easy to talk to. Um, and also the way he plays rugby league, even if he's not the biggest talker, the way he plays is very inspirational, you know, leads from the front. Um, so, yeah, look, if they're going to keep Luke Thompson, I think it's the everything that I've read has really just been about the, the size of the contract that he's on. He's on quite a big wicket. And I think that that may be the sticking point maybe. Uh, but <clears throat> really interesting times, really interesting time with the dogs. And as I said, Massive congratulations to Josh Jackson and thank you for your incredible service uh, to Rugby League because he has been outstanding. James Tarmow signs with the Cowboys just quickly. 
poetic. I think this is good. I think this is great. They've got a very uh, a relatively young forward pack. I think he can help them. Um, at the very least, if, let's say he's only playing 10 to 20 minutes a game. That's a massive win. Uh you know, at the very best, he finds some form again. Brings he gets brought on for you know thirty minutes and just goes really well. And in regards to teaching these young guys about consistency, about work ethic, about staying in the game, I mean, we don't have very many three hundred game props, if I recall correctly. Guru, you're probably better at this than me, but I can't remember that many three hundred game props. So it's kind of like old warriors, the old saying of like, uh, you know, fear a, a man that is old, you know, a, a young man's kind of game. If a, if a, a warrior is last to the age of 80, then that motherfucker doesn't die, which is a good thing as a warrior. And just <laughs> as, a prop, as a prop gets to 300 games, he must be doing something right. He must be doing something right. Guru, thoughts on this signing? Yeah, I like it, mate. And to, to be honest with you, I, I, as you just said, I agree with everything you said about the Cowboys and the young forwards and everything. But, mate, I, I was out there at the SCG that night when he got sent off in his last game for the Tigers and just watching him walk off going, it's probably the biggest mistake of his entire career, just a brain explosion in that moment that doesn't represent the character of James Tamo whatsoever. And I walked away that night thinking, fuck, that's going to be the last time we're going to see this bloke, which is just, it's just not fair on his career and how good he's been for so long. So I am so stoked to see him get another opportunity in the NRL and uh, for that not to be our last memory. And, mate, I mean, he's going to a team where he could genuinely win a competition next year. <coughs> the Cowboys could win their second comp, and James Tamau could be, would he be the only guy to win both of them? I, I think he would, wouldn't he? Oh, Jason Tamalolo, sorry, but one, one, one of very few. So uh, it could be a really special way uh, for, for him to finish, mate. Fingers crossed. Uh, I got the uh, the props to play 300 games. There's a there's a couple, but there's not many. You've got um, Petro, uh, Brent Kite, Steve Price, Ruben Wiki, and then you've got guys like, oh, Aaron Blair as well. Then you've got guys like Paul Gallen and... and uh, Corey Parker, who weren't props, but they played in the middle. But I guess you could throw them in there. Aiden Tolman as well. Uh, and, and so, like, out of many. out of what hundreds and hundreds of, of yeah, front rollers, like not many at there's all. There's about five or six of them. Gal is is um, obviously not a front row. Well, not obviously, but um, it's pretty incredible. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Like to to make NRL and then to play fifty games, a hundred games, one hundred fifty, two hundred. It's an incredible achievement. And you're right, Guru, in regards to what happened, like, I understand it was his decision and he, he took to accountability for what he did on the field that game. But if there was ever evidence of a bloke almost spewing out the poison of pressure yeah. that was at that club, that was it. Like, the, the amount of shit that would have been going on in that club that he would have just been like, oh, my God, this is so much. Um, Timmy, what do you think? Yeah, really, really fitting way to, to end his career, I think. Uh, heading back to the Cows, where it all started for him. And what a great signing for the Cowboys. As you said, Kempi, like... I think he probably plays a 15 to 20 minute bench role, but even if he's not playing first grade, to have him in and around that squad with the experience, like he's a world cut winner, obviously a legend of a bloke, a leader of men, as you like to say, he's he will bring so much to a lot of the, the young players in this side. And, you know, he wouldn't have signed for, for many pennies, I don't think. It is just, it's a win for both sides. He'll go up there, finish with the cows, um, Go out, you'd like to think, without a wooden spoon in his final season in the NRL. So uh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful story to to bring in, the, I suppose, the start of the preseason. And just quickly, before we get to the Rugby League World Cup news, Clifford leaves the Knights. Um, so what does this mean? I mean, Jake Clifford is going to go over the Super League. Apologies, I've forgotten who he signed. Was it Hull? Signed with Hull, yep, yep. Yeah, Hull. Look, first of all, congratulations to Jake uh, 
I just think I think this is really smart for him. Get away from the pressure. He is a very talented player. We've seen him have some good games in the NRL, and we've seen him have more than one or two good games. We've seen him have, you know, a, a solid run of games. So I think he's going to do well over in the Super League. And you just sometimes players they just need that little confidence boost, that just away from the the, the extreme pressure of the NRL, away from just the the, the high intensity week in week out. Uh, so massive congratulations to Clifford. But what does this mean for the Knights? This is uh, this is it's kind of like okay, well, fair enough. Like if you've got someone coming through that could take the spot, there's no confirmation on Luke Brooks. There's no confirmation on Garrett coming. It is. It's almost like didn't we see this happen a year ago for the Knights with Mitchell Pierce, where they just moved to seven on when they didn't really. Uh, and look, to be honest, to be fair, it's, it's a different uh, setup now because I think Peter Parr is is the football manager, so maybe he's he's taking potentially a step back to take a step forward, maybe. Uh, but it is it is surprising. It is surprising in regards to just how much they missed a, a half last year for them to go. You know what? We're going to back the fact that we're going to find another half on the market. Now, look, if they've already got some verbal agreements with Luke Brooks or, or Garrick, then fair enough. But I tell you what. Garrick, the recent reports is Garrick's about to re-sign for an extra four years. And the amount of time, like they tried to get Luke Brooks last year and they couldn't. Tigers haven't signed Dwahi. Is Apologies. I, I, we've been saying Dewey, but I think it's Dwahi. Uh, apologies if I'm saying that incorrectly. Uh, Tigers haven't signed Hastings. It's like, it's. I don't know. I don't get it. Guru, speak to me. Yeah, mate, it's a bit like that. And I, I was joking with Matty earlier today. I, I did a podcast the other day about Luke Brooks potentially going to Newcastle. And I, I saved it as Brooks to the Knights question mark. I went to save it and my computer said, you already have a file named this from a year ago. The exact same fucking oh, thing no was happening way. 12 months ago. And I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to leave it. So uh, I, I was saying to Matty before, though, Kempi, it's interesting because the Tigers, you've obviously got – um, Dwayne, you've got Hastings and you've got Brooks. They're all off contract when you guys are watching this today. So it becomes very interesting. I mean, the, they've made no secret of it, the Tigers. They want to play Hastings at 13. So they've let Jock Madden go. Seemingly, they must be confident they're going to keep Brooks. So I, I just hope the music doesn't stop in Newcastle and no one's in the halfback chair because that would be an absolute disaster. And, mate, even if they do get Garrick, they move KP to six, which I'm not a huge fan of. But I'll tell you what, if I had KP at six... I'd want a halfback next to him. It's still, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if moving KP to six is the answer. I think that could just create another problem realistically, which is just going to put more headlines on KP, which personally, I don't think Newcastle, oh, I think Newcastle has shown they can't handle it. I just, this KP to six. Look, if KP wants to do it, then KP can. He's a young, hot boy. He's fresh as anything. I love that shit. <laughs> but if he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to um, do it, and it's more, I guess, out of necessity, it's like, let the guy master the fullback position first. Let him let him get a you know a couple of seasons under his belt, you know, 22, 22 to twenty four games, and we all sit back and go, he's in the top five Dally M and we know and he's reaching his potential and we we see him play week in, week out the way he plays at Origin under Slater. But you want to move him to six, like keep, oh man, make, Timmy, speak to me. Just just a quick side note, Kemp, you've been doing a few push ups over in Italy. How about the size of the Warwick Farms on you? <laughs> <laughs> mate, it's just all natural, mate. All natural. You know what is funny though? I was, I was literally. It's so funny how cultures are different. So, like the other day, I like put in gym nearby, bro. I'm in a city, like a big city, no gyms, like barely <laughs> any gyms. 
Whereas in Australia, you couldn't bloody walk 10 feet without finding a gym. So Just wine and uh, pizza. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, on yeah. the on the night tours, KP, look, I'd love to see him play some 5'8", but the glaring issue with that is obviously just the concussions. The bloke didn't finish this season and got knocked out, what, three or four times this year. And then you're going to put him in the front line and make him make 25 tackles a game. It just doesn't add up in that sense for me. Um, as far as the where the half situation is now, they've obviously got Tyson Gamble come in, Adam Clune's still there, Milf's on the way out, Phoenix Crossland. So, look, there's not a lot of names there that inspire you with a, a lot of sort of confidence going into the year. You're spot on, Guru. Let's say the a Garrick or to Newcastle did eventuate. I don't think it will, but if Pong did end up in the halves, you definitely want like a really good controlling half to, to give him a hand there. Um, look, the one we keep touching on, and I know a fair bit still got to go on for it to happen, but he's just, I really hope Luke Brooks ends up there. I think it'd be so good to, I think can revitalise his career. I think it's exactly what the Knights needed to take a bit of pressure off KP in that side. So, look, it'd be interesting. They've obviously got my papa Lungy there as well, who spent a bit of time in the back end of the season at centre and looked good. But aside from that, like I haven't seen a lot of him in the halves. Maybe they're sort of looking at him going, he's got a bit to offer. But again, I think you're probably looking at more of a, a ball running 5'8 than you are a traditionally organising halfback. So whether they partnered him with a, a Kloon, I'm not sure. I don't know where they're going with this, but uh, it's pretty concerning. Yeah, I agree in regards to you. I hope Brooks goes there. I mean, the fact that the Tigers, I guess, want to, are really desperate to keep him. And I know uh, Brooks almost like kind of come out and said, you know, in the past he's kind of put the club – again, I'm just paraphrasing. In the past he's kind of put the, cl- the club first to a degree. And I know some people say, are you serious on a massive wicket? But I guess for him, he would think like, I want to be the one to take us out of this this tough, tough time. Whereas recently, towards the end of the season, he kind of said, I'm just going to put myself first uh, in regards to contract negotiations going forward. And I just, I know Tim Sheens has got an incredible record and they've got Benji and they've got Farrah coming in, but it's kind of like too much, like this, too much has happened. Like it, it just fresh start, get in a new environment. It, there's something special about a fresh start for any people, like whether it's in life or in rugby league. Sometimes that is exactly look at perfect example, Papa Lee to the Eels. He's at the Warriors. And like, there is not, I don't care who you are, there is no one that thought that he could turn into this player. There is no one. And if you think he could have, give me a break. Hindsight. Um, goes to the Eels, gets a fresh start. Now he's literally one of the most consistent players in the NRL. And, and I, I, maybe Brooks will become that. Maybe he won't. But just get it just part ways, baby. The relationship's over. We, we've had too many fights. You know, I get pissed, come home too late too often. Like, it's all good, baby. And you're too good looking for me. That's it. Boom. See ya. <laughs> I reckon, though, Kempi, there's a really good chance that the Tigers have persevered with Brooksy for 10 years, backing themselves to get it right. I wouldn't be surprised if they want to see him go one more year with a hooker like Appy. They might think that's the the missing jigsaw piece. I wouldn't do it. But, mate, the way that they're, they're so confident about Hastings playing 13 and, and, and Luke Brooks playing in the seven, I, I genuinely think that they want to give him an opportunity with Appy. I think they've watched Nathan over the last few years, the influence Appy's had on his game. I personally think that the, the Tigers are going to keep him, and I think they're going to play him at halfback. It's not what I would do. I would let him go. Not all divorces are bad. This would be a good one. But I wouldn't be surprised if they do keep him. Hastings mate. 13? Yeah. Well, once again, not what I would do, but yeah. I think that's what they'll do. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing. I agree, Guru. I really do think that's what they'll do. And and you're right in regards to – we've spoken about it quite a lot. You know, 
the most underrated part of the Panthers' dominance, literally the most underrated part, was getting Api Korosau. Matter of fact, it's almost, you could argue, and, you know, again, I know people hate when we do this, you could argue it's a sliding doors moment for Manly as a club and a sliding doors moment for Panthers. You could argue that if Appy stays at, the, at Manly, do they make a grand final? You know, or do they? And I understand Tommy injured Ra Ra, but everything could have changed. He made it take pressure off the amount of work Tommy has to get through, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, so yeah, maybe they believe Appy is the guy that's going to open Brooksy up. But when I look at that, I'm like, Hastings and Duahi, they <laughs> with Appy Chorus. Oh, I'm happy with Oof. that. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. I'm happy. It, it could honestly be the best thing to ever happen to the Tigers if Newcastle come and blow them out of the water for an offer for Brooks. And that's not taking anything away from Brooksy. That is just simply that we know Hastings is the best option at seven. I don't know why the Tigers can't see it, but I, I, I think it would do them a lot of favours. And it would do Brooksy a heap of favours as well. And not only getting who I think we all agree, which would be their best halves come of Hastings and Dewey, freeing up a, a casual little 900k to spend elsewhere. <laughs> like It just yeah. seems to win everywhere. There's no losers. Because <laughs> the only way they keep Brooksy is if he gets paid a million dollars. Because he's already on a million dollars and he's going to get offered probably a million dollars by bloody the New Knights because they're so keen to Jesus. get a seven there. So, um, look, really interesting. Uh, it's, and to be fair, there is a, there's a world where Happy Coruscant does unlock him. There really is. Remember how absolutely annihilated Cleary was getting the year before Happy arrived and now he's everyone's you know favourite. Um, I always thought that I always felt that he could. It was early in his career, rah rah. But there was a loud noise of like, clear he's not going to be anything. He's he's you know this that and the next thing. Anyway, now quickly to the Garrick. Really interesting. I, like I'm so happy for Garrick that he's getting this kind of buzz around contract. This buzz around because if there is one bloke in that uh, manly side that that really really ripped and teared all year, easily in their top three players all year in my opinion. You'd, I probably have. And in no particular order, probably him, Olakawatu, DCE for most of the year until towards the end where that bit faded a bit. So I, I thought that um, Garrick was fantastic. Now, the rumours essentially are that Manly want to offer him a four-year deal and put him in the centres, which I can see him playing centres. He's that, that versatile. He's definitely big enough. He's fast enough. He's strong enough. All that kind of stuff. Um Do we do we think there a chance of losing a guy like Garrick? What do you think, Guru? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, if I'm Garrick and I'm going to go to Newcastle, mate, I think I want it in my contract that I play fullback and nothing else. Because if this whole KP thing doesn't work, instead of finding himself on the sting for the Manly Seagulls with Turbo putting him over every third set, if he ends up on the wing for the Newcastle Knights and they're not going well, (coughs) mate, that would be devastating for his career, realistically. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, like, you know, he seems like a manly boy. He seems to really suit the air, like, enjoy the area. So to go up there away from home and you're just sitting on the sting and saying that, I tell you what, it does make a bit toey. Dominic Young, Caleb Ponger and Ruben Garrick on the sting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Timmy, what do you reckon? Yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, situation with Rubes because 12 months ago, if you said he could go out there and look for fullback money, you'd probably say, look, maybe, but doubtful. He's proven now with Tommy Turbo missing such a string of games this season for Manly that he can and he's capable of being... You know, I'm not going to say top three or even top five fullbacks in the game, but he can command fullback money, which I think, you know, the best wingers in the game these days, maybe as Brian Toto as a bit of an exception, might command five, six hundred K at most. 
a very, like a solid fullback can you know push 750 800k so he's proven that he's i think he's worthy of fullback money uh, I don't know what Manly will be able to offer him because he's obviously going to be playing second fiddle to Tommy Turbo. There's probably a handful of clubs in the NRL that he would start at fullback at, and if you can go to one of those and get an extra two or three hundred thousand, you know whether Newcastle is one of those clubs. Maybe if they're serious about the KP switch, but you can just see that flipping on its head very quickly. So, uh, look, I, I like him at Manly. I like him if not at fullback, then on the wing. Um, but yeah, look, if he's genuinely looking to, to move elsewhere. Uh, I think there might be a few clubs without a fullback putting their hand up and, and we won't have heard the, the last of it. And I think that's what annoys me. You say there's a couple of clubs in the NRL where he should be a starting fullback. Newcastle isn't one of them. Yeah. Like, like at the end of the day, they are not one of them. And I, I personally think that Newcastle probably need to have a look in the mirror because respectfully to them, every time KP plays for anyone else at fullback, he kills it. He was my player of the series in origin this year. I, I'm not sure if this is a KP problem as much as it is a Newcastle problem at the end of the day. Yeah, it's just it's just this six thing is just so strange to me. Like, the bloke has struggled with injury for three or four years now, and you're going to make him get an absolutely. You think, okay, you're in a video session. Oh yeah, we're playing the Knights. Who do you reckon we're going to run up today? Uh, is it the superstar <laughs> fullback playing six? Uh, I think it might be. I think it might be. Is it the guy that can absolutely tear us apart whenever he gets the ball? Okay. Uh, Jason Tamalolo, see that guy? I want you to run at him 15 times today. Like, it's just, anyway, um, we'll move past that. But I'm, I'm stoked for Garrick. I really am. What an incredible year he's had, uh, especially in such a tough year. But let's get to the Rugby League World Cup. So the quarterfinals will be Australia versus Lebanon, New Zealand versus Fiji, Tonga versus Samoa, England most likely versus PNG. By the time you watch this, you'll pr- we'll yeah, probably we'll, we'll have know a result. by the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but look, it's probably going to be PNG. It'd be one. It'd be one of the biggest losses probably ever for them if they don't win this game to get into the the quarterfinals. Um, and, I, and look, we'll. we'll uh, what do you? Uh, all right, we'll preview quickly. Oh no, we'll go through the games first. Sorry. <clears throat> anyway, so New Zealand versus Ireland, forty-eight uh, ten. This for me, uh, Jerome Hughes. Wow, wow, absolutely amazing. Uh, just watching Jerome Hughes, I'm like, I don't think we've seen the best of it. Like, I, I think there's still more to come. We just forget. We're talking about a kid in his third year of seven. Think about that. His third year of seven. Or, you know, three and a half or whatever. I'm sure someone has the frigging days and hours and minutes in the comment section. Um, we're talking about a guy <laughs> absolutely killing it at seven in his first game back, uh, roughly three years playing the seven role. I don't think we've seen the best of Jerome Hughes. I think that I would go like, okay, look, there's Cleary and Cleary is alone for sure, for sure. But when it comes to a running game for a seven, I don't know. I think Hughes is probably number one when it comes to running game. Like, And I think that, you know, let's say Cleary plays his best game of footy and Hughes plays his best game of footy. I don't think the gap is as big as a lot of people think. Now, to be, you know, we're talking about the back-to-back premiership. We're talking about a guy that's like entry, like a, akin to GOAT status for that age when it comes to stats. But when, when they both play their best, although I still think Cleary is the number one half, I, I, I truly believe the gap between them is nowhere near as... Most people would go, are you serious? It's not even close. I don't think it's as big as people think. What do you reckon, Guru? Oh, I think that the halfback that is most likely to outplay Nathan Cleary on any given day is without a doubt Jerome Hughes. 
I don't think there's any doubting that. And I think, yeah, you know, as much as this game was against Ireland, we're well and truly aware of that. He's been doing this for years. When when he comes off that right foot, shut the gate. It's over. Mm. If, if he comes off his right foot 20 metres out, it's done. He's <laughs> going to score every day of the week. And you got to remember for Husey too, this is his first game in, what, six, seven weeks? I mean, he, he's been out for quite some time. And to come back in that fashion, uh, very impressive. I... Obviously, a Kangaroos fan, um, and if we could play the Kiwis eventually without Jerome Hughes, I'd be stoked. I understand it's not a, a strong opposition, but uh, newsflash, every big team has played not strong opposition, and I don't think any seven has had that good of a running game, especially the first half. Um, so really exciting, and it's exciting for uh, for New Zealand. You've got this like gun seven that's one of the best in the comp, top three, then you've got a young six uh, in regards to Dylan Brown, who's, what, 22. It's super exciting. You've got foreign, te- like, leading them in regards to off the field. It's super exciting. In saying all that with that positive stuff, I will say I was a little bit disappointed with New Zealand as a whole. I thought they looked a bit clunky, which is understandable. It's Hughes' first game. Um, I thought Dylan Brown was uh, struggling a little bit to get used to the timing of a guy like Hughes because he's probably so used to a guy like Moses, which is a very different player. Um now, I think the Irish had a very specific game plan of just rushing up. And usually when you've got a game plan of like rushing up, if you're in a club side and you've played together so long, you immediately recognize that, you go, okay, we, we know what's happening here. Let's change the, the, the uh, our rhythm. Let's change our spacing. Let's change the distance between us and them. And then we'll, we'll uh, be able to score, you know, in regards to kicks in behind, hitting short lines, quick play the balls. I just think because New Zealand, although they were – a little bit disappointing and they were a little bit clunky. I think it's understandable because they've got two new halves playing together. Um, you know, so although it is, although a little bit clunky, understandably, what do you think of the game, Guru? Yeah, mate. I mean, it, it is what it is. You know, New Zealand, they, they got the job done. I agree with you. I, I, I wasn't overly stoked with their performance and I don't think they would be either. But as you said, Hughes's first game. Have he, him and Dylan Brown played together before? Did they, they play a test at the start of the year, Matty? I'll Google it now. Yeah, like Yes, I, they played once. They beat once. Tonga. Sweet. So yeah. one, one, one game, yeah. the first time they've played together in X amount of time. So uh, a little bit clunky. <laughs> and like, I mean, it's also not anywhere near their full strength side. I don't think Nakora, he'll be playing in the centres. I don't think that uh, Nelson will be starting on an edge so still plenty of changes you've also got I think we all forget Brandon Smith as as good as he is he's still learning the position that he's playing at the end of the day so uh, as always is the way with these Kiwi sides you're crazy to judge them on the group stages you judge them on their last two weeks because that's when they tend to play their best footy yeah and also uh, you know one big (laughs) glaring problem is the goal kicking holy shit Um, you know, if they can, if they convert all their goals, it's probably bloody 60, 60 points. Um, but I guess, yeah, I wanted to talk. Uh, we'll talk about Hargreaves first, and then we'll talk about the goal kicking. The Hargreaves comes up, sent 10 in the bin uh, for half time when he's high tackle on Ireland prop. I'll be honest here. I thought the commentators were a bit dramatic about this. I Okay, I'm happy to be wrong. Maybe I'm too old school. I, I don't know. And, I, and I'm not some, saying like, oh, yeah, I love it when they used to drop elbows and heads. Rah, rah. I'm not at all. Yes, it was a head high. Yes, I'm happy with 10 in the bin. But I kind of felt like it bounced up off the ball and it was just an aggressive tackle that went wrong. And I kind of feel like the fact that it was Hargreaves because he's you know got the form made it even more dramatic than if it was another forward that you know made that tackle. Uh, to be clear, yes, it was a head high. Yes, it was 10 in the bin. 
But I don't know. It seemed, I personally was like, are we – like he was talking about swinging arms and that. And I was like, like I didn't see a swinging arm. I saw a bloke trying to wrap a player up. Like, And again, I'm happy to say I'm incorrect in regards to it was a swinging arm or whatever, but I thought he was trying to wrap the ball up. I didn't see a swinging arm. His shoulder and, and arm were swinging at the same time. Am I am I crazy here? Am I being guru? Or did you think it was pretty bad? No, I didn't think it was bad as what they carried on with. But at the end of the day, unfortunately, once you get this tag in rugby league, fuck, it's hard to shake. And Jared is just one of those guys. Unfortunately, it's not fair. But I mean, they're always going to go after him. It, it, if that was a winger that made that tackle, <laughs> very different conversation. I think. Well, what's crazy is like it wasn't as bad. But one of the Irish players did a head high, and it wasn't as bad. It wasn't as bad. But then they were like, oh, that's part of his game. That's what makes him so great is because he's so passionate. And then, like, you heard the commentator catch himself. And he's like, yeah, similar to Hargreaves. You know, he's just got to rein it in a little bit. And it's like, rah. Like, and, and when I'm watching, I'm like, you know what? Maybe when people hear Australian commentators, we're super biased. So, I, I don't know. But it did seem like, I don't I, I personally thought, yep, 10 in the bin. Yep, a week should be good, in my opinion. Um, Timmy, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm with you, boys. I think there was a little bit too much chaos on that one. It was definitely a reputational-based thing with Jarboree Hargraves. He, as Guru mentioned, if it's a squeaky clean player with a, a better image, uh, when I say better image, you know, a better judiciary record and not being known for being such a ruthless player on field, there's no way the carry-on is as much as it was. So, tending to be in, move on, get over it. <laughs> it got called a dog shot. I was yeah. like, what? How's that a dog shot? Like, what are we talking about here? Um yeah, and look, look. I know that people are there's uh, you know some people that are very passionately anti Hargreaves, uh, and, and that's understandable. He he does go, he crosses the line. It was wrong. He's got crazy form. It was his first game back from suspension, if I recall correctly. So gr- I'm granting all that. I'm granting all that. There's I'm not saying he's saying he's some unfairly maligned player, but when you look at the tackle, it wasn't as I personally don't think it was as bad as some people were were saying. Um, but let, let us know in your thoughts in the comments section. Do you think that it was a bit worse than what we're making out? Or do you think that, um, you know, maybe it was because of the fact that he does have a tendency to do it quite regularly that made it a little bit worse? Um, now, the kicking. This is interesting. This is Because, like, when it's fine to do this in the group stages, but do you think this may be a selection error from Michael Maguire that they don't have a kicker currently? Or am I not remembering a kicker that's going to come back in and be able to kick? Mate, I was just having a look through the squad myself, and there isn't really a standout kicker, especially in in, in this eighteen they've got here. Matty, is, can you have a look at the extended squad to see? But I, I honestly don't think there is, man. Yeah. I, I went through it when I was watching. I don't think there is. And I mean, who, who kicked the other night? Jordan Rapana kicked the other night. I mean, Timmy is he in Brown, the top? Bloody. He's just, ordinary, mate. He, like, but like he's not I, in the top three Canberra kickers. I absolutely love Jordan Rapana, but the man was not uh, put on a footy field to kick goals. Granted, you know. He's kicking for his country, so he's doing something right. Yeah. But when we look at coming up in what's likely to probably be a semi-final clash with Australia, with Nathan Cleary kicking on one side and, say, Jordan Rapana or Dylan Brown kicking on the other side, you're essentially giving away a four- to six-point start against Australia, which is just, you know, you're starting on the back foot big time. So I'm just trying to think, is there anyone that could have been selected in the squad the entire squad for their goal kicking. I'm trying to go through the options, but it's not well, a lot. Jordan Rapana kicked in their mid-season game as well. So, I mean, they've had a bit mm. of time to think about this and they haven't been able to come up with any. And I, I don't know if there's just no options out there. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I, I think it could be Surely, costly at some point. 
I mean, surely, and, and this is hard because he's, he's an international coach, and he, maybe he did do this, so apologies if he did, but surely you're reaching out to the key guys and going, mate, I need you to be, begin practice kicking immediately mm-hmm. so that when we get to the World Cup, you're ready to go. Um, and maybe he did reach out and do that. Like, for example, so Jordan Rapana started and then Dylan Brown took over. And, boys, you know I love Dylan Brown. I love him more mm-hmm. than – I mean, he's the coolest man in all the land. But uh, coolness doesn't get the ball over the post, unfortunately. Um, he wasn't the best. And he was – and, like, the, then he was getting kind of heckle and they were cheering when he did get one. Um, yeah, it's it's a real concern. It's a real concern because – you know, Australia, they're, they are, they're not going to allow a blowout score against... I mean, maybe they will, and New Zealand will be one of the great victories, but I don't think Australia is going to allow a blowout to happen, and it really could be a four- to six-point difference, and that could be that could be the game. That really could. That's how closely these two squads are aligned. Um, just on that, yeah, Kempi, I was just else? having a look back to their last games they played in 2019. They had two goal kickers during that year. Isan Masters was one of them. The other one was Jermaine Osako, yeah. who neither guys you probably want to pick in your 17, but geez, I, I can definitely talk for Jermaine Osako. He's definitely going to strike a ball better than Jordan Rapana, but I definitely want Rapana in my side more. I think they're in a tough spot as far as that goes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think it's one of those things that if you can keep like a system for a long period of time as an international coach, you can start implementing picking certain players that are going to be key players and get them to start practicing at training in that. Mm. Um, anyway, so we'll just say New Zealand, although a little bit clunky, the, the clash, if they do make it through to Australia, oh my God, it is it is going to be a clash for the ages. I still think Australia has a little bit of class. Um, I think that the, the, real, the real point of difference, the scary point of difference for New Zealand is their forward pack because it's a it's a motherfucker. It is a motherfucker. So uh, there's not much difference separating them. Um, now, quickly on to England versus Greece. <clears throat> um, look, England. Wow, wow. We we talk, What did we speak about last week? We said we need them to be ruthless. We we can't. You can't afford to be rolling into the quarterfinals, letting you know lower tier teams putting twelve, sixteen, or, or whatever it is on you. And they responded. They did exactly that. They came out. They were ruthless. Now, I will say, I still believe there's a little bit of a class difference between New Zealand, Australia, and England. But if they can, when it comes to like everything they can do, like everything they can possibly do to be the best they can be, I feel like England are doing it. Like I feel like every player is playing nearly as good as they can play. And they're just getting closer and closer to the standard of Australia and New Zealand. And, and I know like English are listening. They'll be like, you serious? Like we only lost six nil last world cup to Australia in a world cup final. But I just think that we were probably guilty of underestimating them coming into this, this world cup. And I think they proved, well, they personally, I can't speak for Guru or Timmy personally. I think they've proven me uh, not wrong, but they've definitely gone better than I expected them to go. Um, there's absolutely no denying in my opinion that they're in a, they're a top three side in the world cup currently. Whereas coming into the World Cup, I think most people would have had them fourth or fifth even, um, maybe even sixth. Uh, so they've proven a lot of people wrong, including myself, I guess. Um, and I think that guys like Dominic Young, wow. And also like little things. So they bring on their kind of like um, Mark Schneid. He's like essentially one behind George Williams. He was arguably man of the match. And I just think that yesteryear, did England have that kind of depth? 
I don't know if they did. Like they could just bring someone in and then put 94 points on. Like they were usually their first 13 was pretty strong, and then outside of that was a little bit. So I really think I like what I'm seeing in England. I really think that they're improving. I think that put it this way: in four years' time, rolling into the World Cup. I will be surprised if they're not very close to Australian standard. That's how much progress I feel like they're making. Guru, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you, mate. I think the beauty of it is that, you know, the vast majority of the guys that we're watching for England, they are young guys. So, like, you, know, you almost feel like if it's not this World Cup, you feel like the next one, they could really give it a shake. Because those guys that are 23, 24 now, four years' time, you're 27, you're 28, you come into the peak of, the, of your career, you get a new bunch of young guys coming in as well. So I'm really excited for them. I'm very keen to see next week where I'm assuming they'll play uh, Papua New Guinea, who, who I think have been really good throughout this competition. I think they lost their first game, and I thought to Tonga, I thought they were incredibly unlucky to lose that game. I've been really impressed with PNG, despite them missing a couple of really key guys. And I think they'll really take it to England. And I think it'll be interesting to look back in three weeks' time and go, okay, did England go through the group stage a little bit too easy or have they just taken confidence from that group stage to roll into those big games? Because, um, I mean, the reality is three good wins. Samoa, you know, essentially didn't get off the bus that day. Gave it to France to spike and a couple of tries and then had a training run <coughs> against this Greek side. I just, I wonder if it is maybe not the greatest preparation that they need to take on your Australia, your New Zealands, these sort of sides heading into finals. Yeah, I mean, uh, granted, it goes without saying, you know, this is when the real competition starts in regards to getting close to those top-tier teams. But I don't know. I, I can't recall an England side being this dominant um, through the, the group stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, maybe you could talk about the 90s and that. I don't know much about the 90s um, in regards to World Cup footy. But I just think that, like, it's it's very easy to go, and I'm not saying you're doing this, Guru, but, like, oh, look at their opposition, look at their opposition. But it's like, but they did what they were supposed to do. They won by 90 fucking points or 90 or 88 points. Like, what else could they do? It's almost like the Samoa situation. They had a big win last week. They had a big win this week. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, yeah, but it's against lower tier teams. It's like, yeah, but what What else? What could they do then to convince you? They're, they're doing everything they can. So um, Newcastle Knights must be licking their lips at Dominic Young, surely. How, wow. how improved is he over the last two years? I I, I I didn't think he'd last 10 rounds when he started last year. No, agreed. He agreed. was all I over thought, the place. Yep. Like his positioning, his catching, it was like, war, this guy is way out of his depth in the NRL. And then, boom, he has been outstanding. What do you reckon about England, uh, Timmy? Yeah, I mean, they're going to be heading into the, the knockout stages with about as much momentum as a side could really have. And <clears throat> what's intrigued me, or impressed me, I should say, is just the versatility between players in the key positions. So for that, the game on the weekend against Greece had Makinson playing at fullback. Wellsby, the star half from game one of the tournament against Samoa, played at centre. They had Snide and George Williams in the halves. And the fact that Snide kicked goals over uh, Makinson in this clash, amazing goal kicker, by the way, is I just wonder which way they're going to go with their spine uh, to coming next week's first knockout uh, round because you've obviously got Sam Tompkins to come back in at fullback there, but um, I'm not certain of which way they will go in terms of Snide and Makington and where they're going to play these players. Is it a case of them saying, all right, these, you know, four or five of our best players, find a way to get them in your team wherever you can? If that is, you know, a Makington, I don't think Makington will play fullback because they've got Tompkins coming back as a skipper of that side, but um, playing... um, Players all over the shop. So 
This is going to bode really well for them come knockout stages, dealing with any potential injuries, if there's any HIAs mid-game, any of that, they're, they're very well prepared for it. Uh, and the one for me who's just getting better and better with age, and I know it's hard against some of these opposition, but big Tommy Burgess has been wonderful for them. 49 minutes, 12 tackle bars, a pair of tries. Now, not looking too much into it in terms of Greece, but when they do get to these knockout stages in the bigger games, there's the mongrel in Tommy Burgess and Johnny Bateman, and I reckon they're the ones who are going to need to stand up because um, they're going to come up against some pretty hectic forward packs, and, and they're the two big ones for me. Yeah, in regards to another point of this game, Victor Adley went off in the first half. Mm. Mm. You know, their, their main lynch man in the middle or, or linchpin kind of guy, that the, all their attack around it, and I think that's also not really getting appreciated. They did this with, a, as you just alluded to, Timmy, a makeshift kind of not even their best side. I mean, you could argue that maybe only Australia has really managed to keep that standard when they bring in other players. Uh, like I think even New Zealand suffered a little bit when they moved people around. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's really exciting for England. Um, it's I think as well, I, I think it's going to put – like a lot of these English guys don't want to move to Australia, which is understandable. It's away from home. But I tell you what, there's a fair few players in there. If I'm an NRL club, I'm fucking knocking on their door. I, I think the period where it was almost like don't bring Super League players over, it just doesn't work. I think after this World Cup, you'd have to say, I mean, again, let's wait until they play Australia and New Zealand for sure. But I, I don't know. I'd be I'd be looking a lot harder than we've been looking over the last few years. Well, there's a guy that I mentioned during the season. He's linked to the Newcastle Knights. We got to see him the other day. Kai Pierce paul big bit of gear playing in the centres. He could play in the back row or in the centres. Uh, he had a try. He had two tries. He went for 197 metres, two line breaks and seven tackle breaks. I reckon he's one that could come over here and be really successful. He's very young, so I think it's the perfect time to bring him over, bring him over here now. So hopefully the Newcastle Knights are able to lock down his signature because he's one that I really like. Mm, agreed. Agreed. Um, now, Fiji versus Scotland. Uh, we'll just go through this quickly because I don't really have that much time. But, you know, Fiji, they're almost a little bit of a bogey side in regards to I wouldn't take them too lightly if I'm New Zealand. I wouldn't take them too lightly. I don't think that, you know, obviously New Zealand have a better side on paper, but I don't think it's so out of the realm that Fiji up like put pressure on them and then all of a sudden what happens if New Zealand, you know, thought they were going to have an easy game and then they're in the trenches and then some miraculous thing happens, Kikau or Appy or Sivo does something amazing. I don't think they should be slept on in regards to, I don't think it's going to be as, as simple as like, oh yeah, New Zealand will definitely win. Um, you know, we'll just move forward. Like, don't get me wrong. They're definitely very, very short favourites. But I think Fiji have been pretty good. I really do. Now, obviously the 14 points is a bit concerning from Scotland. I think Fiji are a better side than that. But, when you watch them play and you see some of the stuff that they can do and break games open out of the middle of nowhere, um, yeah, I think Fiji have, have done really well this World Cup. Yeah, for sure. And I think it should be noted that in this game, you know, they were well and truly in control. Then Appy, he went off after 32 minutes. If Appy stays on the field the whole game, they're a completely different side and it changes their entire game plan. It gives them so much um, direction, obviously. So keeping Appy on the field will be massive for them. And I agree with you, mate. I think they'll give the Kiwis um, a run for their money. I wouldn't be surprised if New Zealand run away with it in the last 2025. But I think it's going to be a really good game, that one. Timmy? Yeah, I mean, boys, last start, Fiji versus New Zealand. Fiji knocked them off uh, in the knockout stage, the quarterfinal of the 2017 World Cup. That infamous, I think it was 4-2 victory. So... On that game alone, I know it was five years ago now, but with the form that Fiji have shown so far this tournament, the Kiwis 
well, they know they can't take them lightly because they've lost to them before and been knocked out of a World Cup. So I cannot wait for this game. Uh, I said they'll be going with that underdog mentality with absolutely nothing to lose. The Kiwis, all the pressure on them. Uh, they played some really, really good footy. Can't wait for it. Now on to Australia versus Italy. Um, this is an interesting one. This is a really interesting game. A little bit concerned about the completion rate. Uh, I think even they kind of mentioned it. Um, yeah. Again, Australia still played really well, and I'm still. I just love their defence. They're so aggressive and ruthless, and I just. I, don't, I personally don't think any other World Cup side has the same consistent, aggressive, uh, clinical defence. Like it is just super, super clinical, super aggressive. They never give you a a set to just you know kind of get through the, the your plays. Um, but it was a little bit. Uh, concerning in regards to completion rate. Granted, you had a six and a seven that are both sevens and they hadn't played together before. Um, I still think Australia are, are clear. When it comes to what I've watched from Australia compared to every other team, I still consider them clear favourites. Um, but let's talk about the uh, two the two big points, in my opinion, coming out of this game. First is DC versus Cleary. I... I just think that, I mean, you guys know my feelings on this. Like, I, I think it's DCE's time. I, I think it's Cleary's time. I really do. And I got a lot of respect for Cleary, uh, for DCE. After the game, he got interviewed and he was very, very honest, but also, you know, very accepting of, of the situation. Would have been very easy for him to feel a bit like, well, hang on a sec, I've been around here for about 10 years. Like, you know, maybe I should be the incumbent or whatever, but he seemed very respectful, but also honest. But in my opinion, it's got to be, it's got to be Cleary. It really does. What do you reckon, boys? Yeah, I agree, mate. And I thought DCE had the better game in this one, and it doesn't change anything for me. It has to be Cleary. Uh, there's no question about it whatsoever in my mind. Uh, you mentioned the completion rate there. And, you know, I understand that the, the Kangaroos had more ball and whatnot, but they made more errors than Italy. And, fuck, there were some shit yeah. errors in there. Like 10 er- errors for Australia, 9 for Italy, <clears throat> and a 66-6 well, win. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like we spoke how, how praisingly last week of ruthlessness, and that's an example of not being ruthless. It's an example of going, look, we're going to get the win. Let's try some plays. Let's try and score on every you know second or third play, which is human nature. It happens. And you could make the same argument for England um, last week where, you know, they, they for 15 minutes or so, they just lost their way a bit and thought they could score whenever they could. Um but so I'm hoping that that's not, I don't think it will be. I think that, oh, I mean, it is Lebanon, so it's going to be interesting to see how they turn up. But I, I think that that was more a case of just, they thought that, you know, we can score kind of every play and then they made those errors. Um, Timmy, what do you reckon about DCU versus Cleary? Yeah, I've been pretty vocal as well, boys. Nathan Cleary every day of the week for me is the Australian number seven for the, these big knockout games coming up. What was interesting is Mal Meninga telling media that he's considering playing both Cleary and Chez uh, in the no side, chance. which, like, he's lost the plot if he does. He, even if he wins the World Cup with him like that, he probably will. I don't care. He's lost the plot because you've got Ben Hunt who can step in in the halves. You've got Harry Grant who can play in the halves if someone goes down. Like, it just makes no sense. So if he seriously plays both of them in this side, it's, it's basically him going, I can't decide, so I'm going to pick them both. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's just got to be Cleary by himself, doesn't it? And, mate, to be honest with you, well, if he does decide to pick both of them, I, I, like this Kiwi, like eventually when they play the Kiwis, 
This Kiwi pack is too good to fuck around with two halfbacks in your oh, side. Yeah. It's ridiculous. You can't do it. Yeah. And you can't possibly leave Ben Hunt or Harry Grant out of this side. So I yeah, I, I I'd be very against it. I don't I don't think I think he's just playing the media a bit and you know, I think that me personally watching it as the Queenslander, I see a lot of similarities to the way the Queensland side kind of was handled in regards to like there was definitely loyalty, but there was almost this like, you know, you don't, you don't, the jersey isn't owed to you. You know, it isn't owed to you. You have to, every time you, you cross that line, you better earn that jersey. And I, so I like, and you can see it, like every game they've played, you don't see any player being super lazy. Their line speed is always good. They're always running hard. You I mean, it could be, it'd be very easy for a few of those Australian superstars to go, look, I'm just going to, Mal, I'm going to wait till the finals. Give us a call then. Until then, I'm going to get through five to ten hit-ups and, and it's going to win. It's all good. But it hasn't been like that. It really hasn't been like that. I personally think it's more just about creating competitive tension around the the squad um, because that's what you need in, in the better squads. Like, you, I mean, there was even a, a little report of bloody Tino and Lindsay Collins pushing and shoving at a training. And when I heard that, I was like, that's music to me bloody ears. The fucking big dogs yeah. are going at it. And they're about to play like Italy. That isn't that. That's beautiful stuff. Like that's how much. That's the intensity at which they're training. Um, and so th- I think that's the environment he likes to create. Where like, no, we're here to. Every single player is here to fucking do a job. And if you aren't going to respect the jersey, no matter how good you are, you don't deserve to be here. Um, but I, I look. I think it's going to be Cleary, and I. They, they could still win the comp with DC as 14, but I think it'd be crazy to lose a guy like Ben Hunt and Harry Grant in the middle there um, for a guy like DC who has... I mean, he's played a bit of 14 for Queensland, but yeah, Benny Hunt and Harry Grant have got to be it. Uh, another little schmoky, one of our favourite boys. We were, I guess we were a little bit surprised that he made the squad, even though we were talking about how he was essentially if, if uh, Latrell and... Um, Tommy weren't in that he should maybe get a, a chance at the New South Wales centre spot. Campbell Graham, do you reckon mm. he may have snuck his way into a wing spot over Tualangi? Now, Tualangi's been good as well. So, what do you reckon, Timmy? Well, my initial thoughts were still Fox and Val on the wings. So, I think there won't be a spot for Campbell Graham still, but you can tell he's clearly like sneaking his way in there. He's winning over a few in the Australian camp because he's getting more and more of a run, but uh, I still think they'll go with Val on the wing uh, with the Fox. What do you think, Guru? I told you bastards this last week and you laughed at me. I'm telling you, he's closer to this side than what you're giving him credit for. I I still reckon they will go Val, but... Mate, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they do give Campbell Graham an early shot during the final series just, just to see what he's about. Because, mate, I, I, like he, his kick returns and everything have been sensational. I know it's not against top-tier nations, whatever, leave it in the comments, but I, I've been so impressed with him. And, you know, we, we've spoken about him, obviously, for Rabbitohs this year. He's been great. When he used to play on the wing, he was sensational there. So I, I, I'm expecting Val to get that wing spot, but I, I wouldn't shock me at all to see Campbell Graham getting a gig there. Well, see, this is what I feel. I, I agree with you. Val, Adokar, for sure. But I tell you what, next year and the year after, because this has been the perfect opportunity for Campbell Graham. Just get an opportunity, even against lower tier, show what he can do. Val, how old is Val? What, thir- about, about 29, 30, around there? Could you please check for us, Matty? And so... 27. It's just... Val. 27. Is he really? Holy yeah, fucking hell. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. I guess he, he was like that. That was pretty much his first year when they won that comp, wasn't it? That was only 2016. Okay. So, 
That's crazy. I mean, he's 27. He's already been to the NFL and come back. That's fine. Yeah, come back and he's killed it. But to, to be to be fair, though, I think that, like, let's say Campbell Graham goes back and plays really well next year. And let's say Val Holmes comes out and has a quiet year. This little opportunity here could be the reason why Campbell Graham gets a crack over Val. And all of a sudden, it's gone from one of the best international wingers we've seen in Val to, oh, shit, like, we really don't know who's going to be picked there. Um and this is not – I think Val's played really well, like not all. It's more just a, a, a compliment to Campbell Graham. And I think he's taken a lot of people by surprise. I think a lot of fans that don't really watch Rabbitohs games, because he doesn't do big highlight plays, because you don't see him, you know, all over the news, big stretch, they, you don't really appreciate what this bloke does. But what I love for Campbell Graham is, is there's a bunch of Aussie fans that go, oh, shit, big stretch on the sting. Get him in there. Um, so I agree. It'll be Val and uh, – Fox, but I think that put it this way, how many times have we seen young guys get put in an Australian squad, don't really take their opportunity, and then the next the next roll around of Australian squad, they just don't really make it. Campbell Graham has done everything he possibly could, as long as he continues to play well at club, to be in the frame, in the conversation, to get a spot in a squad next year. Um, but outside of that, boys, any anything else in regards to uh, Australia? Uh, not a heap, mate. Just, uh, just yeah, obviously, we've spoken about him a lot this year, but mate, some of the Lat- the touches that Latrell Mitchell can have, oh. he's just mm. that one. I think it was Cleary turned him under, and before he even caught the ball, I knew he was going to score a try. <laughs> there was just no stopping him when, when you turn him under like that. Um, going to get, it just he is just a juggernaut, and there was an offload that he threw to um, Tolungi. Like he just can't be stopped. On his day, he just cannot be stopped, Latrell. And I think he's – when I do have a look at these other sides, I just don't think any other team has a centre like him that you can just throw the ball to and he can create four tries in a game out of absolutely fucking nothing because he is the biggest, the fastest, and the most talented guy on the field. He is just a freak. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I think the, the one thing for me coming out of this – you know, what was an unbelievably lopsided weekend of Rugby World, League World Cup action. And, you know, the naysayers are saying, oh, this is shit. There's, there's too many one-sided affairs. But it's been so good to see in all of these games, the Minnow Nations are getting across the stripe. This weekend, in all the blowouts, they all scored a try and creating these just magical moments for their country that, you know, whether it be the try scorer, the bloke who assisted, the bloke who was at the game who saw his Minnow Nations score a try against Australia <coughs> or New Zealand, uh, there's been some wonderful moments. So good to see them getting on the board. Yeah, for sure. Um, and just quickly with Latrell, like, <coughs> you could almost see the opposition be kind of like in awe of. Like, he's a different breed. Like, he's a different kind of beast on the field. You look up, you see, like, that's the Troll Mitchell run at me. This, Like, I remember when I played um, Wendell Saylor on his first game back from return from uh, Rugby Union. And I mean, he ran out and I couldn't believe how big he was. I was like, he is, I thought he was a, a, a kind of very fast, not too big winger. He came out, he must have been 105, 110 kegs. And, it's similar with Latrell. Like, these guys are huge. And you're going, how are you so big and mobile? And also with your silky hands and Latrell Mitchell. Um, you know, it's Latrell is the kind of guy, because, like, you know, he, he's polarizing to some people and he's almost kind of embraced that now where he's gone, you know what, if you're going to boo me, if you're going to do this, I'm going to yell back at you. It's almost like, how many times do we have to be reminded about this guy? How many times does he have to take the absolute piss before we just go... 
he's unbelievable. This guy is he is a generational talent. He's still only twenty four. I oh, just turned twenty five years old. <laughs> he's got two premierships, Origins, Dally M's positional. Like it is just amazing what he's doing. Um, in regards to yeah, in regards to the lower tier nations. Yeah, you know, I understand the people on the you know saying, "Oh, it's blowouts. What's the point of this? What's the point of that?" It's like, what do you, what's the what's the alternative? You just oh, stuff it. Let's not let's not even try to grow the game. It's like at least put it this way: how how long ago was like Tonga, not even close to Australia? Like it was almost like yeah, okay, good luck with that. Now all of a sudden we have to genuinely concern be concerned that Tonga can beat us. Samoa, obviously, you know it's going to be we're going to see this week, see how they go. But you can't tell me they haven't improved, and this is the only way that we are going to grow the game is if we have these blowout scores, but we keep pushing through, we keep the development. And the next game is the perfect example, Lebanon, Lebanon, 74 to 12, 74 to 12 Lebanon. And it's not just a one-off because we saw them earlier in the competition. What was it? 36 to 12 against the Kiwis or something along those lines. Yep. Like Lebanon have been the, the, the Cinderella story of the world cup. They've been the Cinderella story of the world cup. Um, Rajab was fantastic uh, to score 74 points. I tell you what, I, I really do like, I, I apologize if I'm saying it incorrectly, but Rajab, the, the guy with the strongest hair in all the land, um, <laughs> he, I like, he's got something about him. There's something about, like, he doesn't really fit the mold. Like, he's not like a Mitchell Moses kind of silkiness. He, he's probably a, maybe a little bit more silky-ish than Josh Reynolds. Maybe, I don't know. I'd have to see a bit more of him. But he has that kind of Josh Reynolds uh, cult-like vibe to him, like where you're you really a, a cult hero kind of vibe to him. He seems aggressive. He's in your face. He loves to get amongst it. I think the doggies have got something special there with him. Hey, Kenby, sorry. I was just going to say, you know, you said before, you know, it wasn't that long ago that your um, Samoas, your Tongas, you know, they weren't really competing in these World Cups. Like, I just went back to the 2000 World Cup just to show you how far we've come. Like, um, for example, the two, like, uh, Ireland beat Samoa in the 2000 World Cup. Ireland oh. beat fucking Samoa. I mean, like, yeah. you can't wow. imagine a world where that happens. Um, what other results do we have here? Uh, Papua New Guinea beat South Africa by 10 points. <laughs> Like, like you can't like. tell. France beat Tonga twenty-eight to eight in the two thousand World Cup. Like, you can say it's all stupid and it's worth nothing, whatever. The evidence is fucking in front of you that it is worth it, and we have a much better comp for it. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. And in the meantime, I think the the sort of naysayers and the people who are a bit glass half empty going into these the group stages just I think change your perspective a little bit. The group stages are for these minnow nations and giving the opportunity to develop on the world stage and get the attention and give some of these lesser-known players the opportunity to, to flaunt their talents and create these beautiful moments that we've seen across the tournament so far. The business end of the tournament will come. We're going to get three rounds between quarters, semis and final and we'll see the big dogs uh, slug it out. But just enjoy the group stage for what it is. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I feel sorry for Lebanon, though. <laughs> what about their luck getting Australia in the quarterfinals? Oh. Like... It's like, oh, shit. Oh, man. We could have got any of the other teams and, and had a fighting chance. Like, obviously, against New Zealand went okay. Um, but I, I think I think Australia is going to be a bit too much. I really do. Wait, sorry, guys. I've got to go soon. So, what we'll do is is we'll just preview the games rather than review it. Uh, obviously, Tonga, 92 to 10. Um, great win by Tonga. Coming into form at the right time. Uh, Samoa, 62 to 4 to France. Another great win for Samoa. Um but let's get to the previews quickly. Australia versus Lebanon. We'll just do this quickly because, uh, for, again, I, I just want to give Lebanon such credit. And they, as I said last week, there is a quite a large 
Lebanese community in Australia. So they're actually positioned quite strangely in the sense that they, they, they'll be able to get people with Lebanese descent in Australian systems, but then if they want to play for their heritage, all of a sudden, you know, they're a chance to, to build kind of out of nowhere. Uh, but Australia versus Lebanon, I mean, we'll be quick with this. I, I think Australia win and I think they win well. But what an incredible moment for Lebanon as a country to be able to, to get into the corner finals. But let's get to New Zealand, Fiji. How do you see this playing out, Guru? Yeah, I've got New Zealand winning this one, mate, as I'm sure most of us do. But as I said, I think Fiji will put up a good fight. I'm keen to see the Kiwis pull up, put out their full-strength squad. I want to see Papaliti in the back row. I want to see Tapanay at 13. I want to see Husey, Brown, Manu at fullback. I just want to see them... For the next three games, or the next two games until they play the Kangaroos, I want to see their full strength side, and I want to see them really build some solid momentum. And uh, I genuinely think the Kiwis could win this whole thing, mate. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I do not count out the Kiwis. They they are a scary, formidable, and there's just this. There seems this special energy around that camp of like, almost like an alpha aggressive like. I don't know. I just get this vibe that they're just waiting for the chance to test themselves. They're waiting to get in a battle with Australia. Uh, what do you reckon, Timmy, in regards to New Zealand, Fiji? Yeah, mate, the, uh, the Fijians will be out for an ambush, but I think the Kiwis will be far too strong in this. Uh, I know probably not the strongest opposition in Ireland, but you look at a few of the stats, and Hughes and Manu had 36 tackle breaks between them in that game. Jordi Rapana had another 12. Uh, the, the probably interesting talking point out of it and, and looking towards the next game is People sort of questioning the cheese, Brandon Smith and his ability to go the 80 minutes. I think you've seen a, a pretty clear game plan um, by the coach to get 80 minutes into him and big minute games throughout the, the first three rounds of the tournament. They've obviously got Jeremy Marshall King there who can deputise off the bench, but I think they want the cheese playing 80, whether that's 80 at hooker or you know 60 at hooker and 20 off the bench. They've shown a, a bit of a tendency maybe... I don't know where they'll run with their 14 if it is going to be JMK, but I think they're going to go with uh, Brandon Smith as a, an 80-minute hook, which excites me. Uh, and it'll we'll, He's done it in some softer games. Let's see if he can do it now in a tougher game against Fiji. I was told the other day he's lost six kilos since he arrived over there, the cheese. So, oh, yeah. as we said, these Kiwi sides, they always get better for the end. Yeah, and no, I've spoken about that quite a lot. Like, body composition matters for your position. It matters. Like So, you're going to see a different type of cheese. I personally think I think they go four thirteen uh, fourteen. I think they go him out of experience, safety. He can play in that fourteen role if he has to. Um, but I, but in saying that, if Jerry Marshall can guess it, massive congratulations to him. Uh, now, quickly, let's go oh, Fiji. Look, we don't want to discount Fiji at all. Like they, they are, they're probably out of the out of all of the like could be upsets. Probably Fiji. Oh, PNG. Oh, I don't mind PNG. I really don't if they win this game. Anyway, so Fiji. Don't count them out. Don't count them out. They've got some superstars that could do something special. Uh, now, on to Tonga versus Samoa. Arguably the match of the whole bloody tournament. I cannot wait for this game. And, you know, after the game for Samoa, you know, it seemed like uh, the Samoan coach was a bit kind of like, you know, we've done, we've had another big win. Are you going to respect us now? That's, that was kind of vibe I got. He didn't actually say that specifically, but it's a vibe I got. But this is a test, man. This is the test. There's no more talking. There's no more, oh, look at all our potential and look at all our players with the big names and all this rah-rah-rah. All the talk doesn't matter anymore. It means absolutely nothing, whether you're a $1.05 favourite or whether you're $10 outsider, you're playing for your country. You're playing for Tonga Samoa is some of the most deeply ingrained rivalry 
you can find in the world in regards to their history, what they've been through against each other, all that kind of stuff outside of rugby league. Time for talk is over, baby. Time for talk is over. How do you see this match playing out, Guru? Yeah, looking forward to this one. It's going to be a cracker as it always is. To be honest with you, mate, I can't wait till the team list come out. I think both teams are still trying to work out their best halves pairing. Mm. Samoa, you've got... Obviously, Jerome Law, who's been sensational the last two weeks. You've got Milford, who I thought he was great yesterday. Yeah, um, and good. you've also got Chanel Harris-Tavita, who two weeks ago, I thought he was going to be a certainty to be the halfback for this side. I'm not quite sure which direction they're going to go now. And then Tonga, you've got you know young Katoa, who was unbelievable in his game yesterday. And then you've got Amon and Lola Hia, who I think Lola Hia and Jerome Law, I think they're the locks in both sets of halves. But... It'll be interesting to see which way they go uh, as far as the other guys. So, mate, I can't wait for it. I think Tonga do get the job done here. Uh, but, uh, mate, it's, it's probably the closest we're going to get to like a origin sort of style atmosphere, I think, which I'm really looking forward to. Timmy? Yeah, took the words out on my mouth there, a little bit guru. I think it's just going to be... It's going to be a battle of the halves. And, I mean, as you said, teamless will be very interesting because they do have a few options. I was... I don't know which way Samoa will go, but I suggest that the opportunity to tinker with their side, they lost when they got done by 60 against England because it went, all right, we can't afford to rest players and that we need to get on the front foot and get combinations purring for the knockout stages. So the fact they went with Milf suggests that they'll probably do the end. Now, Milf was very good. I would prefer CHT there just because I think he's a bigger body defensively. Milf was great against France, but... You know, pretty soft opposition in that one. Um, I think their forward packs are both unbelievable and may somewhat cancel each other out. I mean, you look at Tonga in their back row, they're trying to fit Tamalolo, Fafida, Kloa Matangi, Olakwatu, Kafusi. It's ridiculous. So, oh. Yeah, I agree, Timmy. Um, I will say in the forward pack, I think Tamalolo could be just the difference. Mm, yeah. Like, I, he, they, I don't really – Samoa have an incredible forward pack. They have an explosive, completely just tear games apart player. Uh, I think Tamalolo might be that guy. and He looked like an angry big fella on the weekend. First try, he just went, oi, I dare you to try and stop me. Guska, boom, Gus, straight over you. Um, but, yeah, I think that Tamalolo could be the difference in the middle. I agree with everything you guys are saying in regards to halves. That's that's the key selection for me. It's going to be interesting. Do you go with a guy like Amon who's had more NRL experience, so it's bigger games, or do you go with like Katoa who has just been really, really good, like really good, but he's also really young? On the other side, could you maybe put Milford at 14 just to like to, I guess, protect yourself in case CHT and, um, and uh, Jerome, you know, don't gel? I'm not sure. It's a tough, tough call, and that is why game one for Samoa was so important. If they lost 24 to 12, it wouldn't matter. You'd go, that's that's our six and seven right there. Because they got beaten by so much, as you said, Timmy, it changed everything for them. It changed their whole World Cup because they do not know where they're really at because of the position, uh, the people that they're playing. But as we've said, both teams have done ever since – well. Tonga have done pretty much what they should have done the whole time. Been a bit scratchy here or there, but they've done what they should really do. Um, Samoa, outside of that first game, have done everything they should do. So you, you cannot take away from the fact that they have tailed up teams that they should tail up, um, and they've done everything that's been asked of them after that first game. They also had no they had no warm-up match as well, um, so that may be a reason why they struggled so much in that first game. But 
again, it all means nothing after this game. That we'll we'll know where either side is really. We really will. Um, so I cannot wait. I really cannot wait. Uh, England versus most likely PNG. Although I definitely back England in. I think PNG do not count these guys out. You telling me the PNG side doesn't have eighty minutes in them that they could do something special? I don't know. What do you reckon, boys? Mate, oh, I thought, as I said before, I thought PNG were incredibly unlucky not to beat Tonga a couple of weeks ago. And if it was Tonga versus England, we'd be saying how close and how good this game's going to be. So I'm not sure what 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 sort of value you'll be able to get out of PNG, but I've got a feeling it'll be a lot deeper than what it should be. Mm, agreed. I, th- I think, um, although I think England, this is a real good game for England because it, it'll be if they do really well, you go okay. There's no more questioning as to whether they're a threat. They're a threat. Um, Timmy, how do you see this England versus PNG? It's going to be a cracker, isn't it? Because I mean, both sides are coming into it. Well, PNG with a game to go, obviously against Wales, but with a fair bit of momentum, the Pommies in particular. Uh, but you know, will there be some complacency from England? From what we're seeing from them so far, I don't think there will. But you just talk about this underdog status and what it means. You've got nothing to lose, and these PNG boys are going to go out there. Assuming they get there, they're going to go out there all guns blazing to rattle this pommy side and they've got the menace in them to do it. So, look, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that there'll be an upset, but I think I'm with you, Cam. If there's going to be one game in the quarters that there will be an upset, well, this might be it. Be unlike England to yeah. shit the bed in a World oh. Cup. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you oh. imagine? Oh, my God. I, I don't think they will. I think we're looking at a very different England side this, this World Cup. I, I've been singing their praises quite strongly um but i tell you what if they take png lightly they'll find themselves in a dogfight, and they'll be what what the, the bad thing is is if they take them lightly and they find themselves in a dogfight, it's actually not about that game they can win that game but they'll be rolling into next week battered and bruised because if there's one thing you roll out of a png game it's battered and bruised yeah. um and they don't want to get into that they don't they, they want to tear them apart go through them thanks boys thanks for coming get to next week uh, but yeah, cannot wait for this week, guys. Anything else, boys? No, mate. I think we're done. Looking to looking forward to a big week of footy, mate. You, you enjoy yourself over there. Put your feet up. You deserve it, <laughs> mate. I'll uh, I'll try. I'll do my best. I'm doing my best, Guru. <laughs> doing my best, mate. Um, no, thanks, boys. Always appreciate it. Thanks, uh, Maddie. Appreciate it. Um, and I'll go and fuck myself in Europe. <laughs>